0: This ticker podcast is brought to you by Broadridge Financial Solutions. Shoot migrants in the legs to slow them it's down. Kids. There's children. So children I this stuff the National Weather Service is
1: backing Donald Trump instead of its own scientists. suggesting parents hit the mute button if children are watching too. Hi again, disclosure buffs. Norms, as it turns out, are pretty easy to break. Talking
2: of things funny, Carrot Top, how are you? I'm doing good.
1: But the fact is, they are much, much harder to change. because back in the mists of time, I took a psychology class, and that was the very first thing our teacher told us, that attitudes are really hard to change. The second thing they taught us is that your attitudes are like 95% correlated with those of the people around you. And the third thing they taught us is that 95% of the people that you tell that to, that their attitudes are 95% correlated with their friends and neighbors, those people will deny it. They are convinced their attitudes come from deep and independent assessment and reflection. Anyway, I only mention that because today's Ticker Podcast guest has been rather spectacularly successful in changing attitudes and behavior when it comes to corporate disclosure, Almost 20 years ago, Paul Simpson founded the Carbon Disclosure Project. The idea was simple, but practically unheard of. Ask businesses to provide climate-related disclosures.
2: We felt we wanted to transform capital markets by making climate change disclosure and risk management a business norm, and it really wasn't
1: a norm then. The idea snowballed, and today more than 7,000 companies, companies worth more than half the total global market capitalization, offer climate related data via CDP. So it's official. Sustainability reporting is a business norm. Coming up, CDP's Paul Simpson on the Great Transition and the New Normal. But first, here's your ticker news update. The UK's Financial Reporting Council wants companies to step up their reporting on climate-related issues. A new report sets out investor expectations on the topic and suggests a range of questions companies can ask themselves to improve their reporting. The report comes amid renewed pressure on ExxonMobil over its reporting on climate change. The state of New York is taking the company to court over its disclosures. The prosecutors say the company kept two separate accounts covering the potential impact of climate regulation and disclosed only the more favorable figures to investors. Meanwhile, a group of environmental and business organizations, which include the Union of Concerned Scientists and the Environmental Defense Fund, have called on companies to take bolder action on climate change. The groups have said companies need to target reaching net-zero emissions by 2050. (laughs) Global fund managers think the U.S.-China trade war is, quote, the new normal. Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey finds that 43% of respondents see no end in sight for the trade dispute. That compares with 36% who think it will be resolved before the 2020 U.S. presidential elections. Almost three quarters of respondents say an end to the trade war would be more bullish than any other market development. <laughs> Finally, the rapid rise of passive investment has pretty well recast the investor relations role. Richard Lakai is State Street's global chief investment officer, and he had some tips for IROs on effective engagement at last month's IR Magazine Global Forum in Paris.
0: Obviously, index funds own a vast portfolio. Um, so that changes the way we think about engagement ourselves. So governance issues, environmental, social issues become very important because they're long-term drivers of performance. So our engagement uh, team and our stewardship team are more interested in those long-term factors because, in a sense, the index fund provides permanent capital. Um, and so we're very interested in the long-term. And I think that's a really useful uh piece of information for irs because there'll be many investors who are too short term and in a sense we are the opposite we're interested in the long term and we're interested in the company's response and positioning on those long-term issues particularly esg and maybe just uh, you know one additional question just on that topic of esg it's come up a lot at the conference here um this week is it, can you pick up maybe one area within that that you're particularly focused on at the moment well, it's industry by industry, and importantly, you need to focus on what's important and material, and that's what the SASB framework is very effective at. That, um, but I think governance is important for all companies, and I think where we look back over the last 30 or 40 years, where we've had real damage to our shareholders, it's been where governance has been weak. So I think that's universal. There'll always be attention. So board diversity, refreshment policies at board level are very, very important.
1: Watch Richard Lakai's full interview with IR Magazine's Tim Human on our YouTube channel. It's easy to chat with Paul Simpson. The usual introductory conversational icebreaker about the weather soon transforms into a riveting 20-minute tale of climate adventure. Paul Simpson knows a lot about the climate. And he also knows a lot about companies and investors, and how to make both of them see things his way. Which, I think, kind of makes him, like, in a roundabout way, the modern equivalent of some ancient weather god. (laughs) We know the planet is heating up. The science has been crystal clear. We know perhaps less about how the confluence of interests and ideas can be shaped in order to cool the approaching climate catastrophe. And while there's certainly growing momentum behind environmental action, is it fast enough? Here's Paul Simpson on how we got to where we are and why we need to pick up the pace. I want to bring it down to what this all means to the Investor Relations Officers Weekend, but I'd also like to know a little bit about what you've picked up on that experience over the last 18 years about changing attitudes, corporate attitudes in particular, and, and how people can, uh, I don't know, how people can surf that that kind of uh, energy. Yeah,
2: that's, um, that's a good phrase, surfing the energy. I, I think, you know, if, we, if if we go back to the year 2000, when... We had the original idea for, for CDP, you know, a, a very small group of us, uh, four of us who'd, who'd all worked in different ways in, in capital markets and helping companies design annual reports and investment firms. I worked in most expeditions, uh, you know, but we all had a personal interest and had done a lot of reading around, you know, well, actually climate change and environmental uh, issues were real and were given a growing population, a growing consumption on a... Finite planet. We're only going to get more serious. So you know, there's some pretty clear graphs, the so-called hockey stick graph of greenhouse gas emissions. You can see that for you know, hundreds of years, greenhouse gas emissions have been very, very low from human activity. Uh, the start of the industrial revolution, they started to tick up, and by, by the year 2000 and it's been ongoing. Uh, the hockey stick part, the steep upward curve of greenhouse gas emissions rise. Yeah, there are more greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere, and I think have been in the atmosphere for some four million years uh, now. That's pretty scary. If you think about uh, that, humans have only really been stable uh, agriculturalists for about 12,000 years. So yeah, it's thinking about change over time. And there's a famous quote that says, you know, change is the only constant you can be sure that will continue. Um, I forget who it's by, but I think that's very true. But to, you know, really, uh, myself and a fantastic lady called Tessa Tennant who pioneered, social response for investment in the UK and very close colleague Paul Dickinson got together and said "Look, you know, the science of climate change in, in 1999, there was a IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that set out the science then. It's got a lot clearer and a lot more serious now. But every five years, they put out a new report. They put one out last year on 1.5 degrees. But that report said the science of climate change is real. Um, it is very serious. You know, we need to act. Uh, and what we felt is that the business community uh, was, was sort of listening to that a bit. But, you know, businesses tend to think, is that, is that as you were saying, well, then we're thinking we must focus on uh, maximizing, as the word tend to be used, profits. Uh, and therefore, you know, we'll just move around. We'll avoid the regulation. We'll just do what we can to maximize profits. We're not here to think about the planet or the environment for the long term. Uh, So what we felt is we needed the institutional investor community who obviously own uh, vast numbers of the shares of companies and invest in, provide the the debt and the bonds for many large companies to, to get engaged in the issue that from climate change, there are risks and opportunities presenting to companies and that companies' job was to manage those risks. seize those opportunities and companies that could do that well would be the ones that would flourish in the future so you know in reality we felt we wanted to transform capital markets by making climate change disclosure and risk management a business norm and it really wasn't a norm then and with the very simple theory that i think most ir professionals will really understand because they're used to it from a financial perspective that what gets measured tends to get managed right. and whether that's on finance or on management quality, on environment performance and environmental risk, that measurement and management and disclosure was a fundamental building block of transforming capital markets and creating a more sustainable economy.
1: Measure and disclose. IROs are all about disclosure. Um, not so much management uh, traditionally or, or lawyers
2: the lawyers would rather disclose nothing because anything you disclose may create a risk, but the the world has changed. And, you know, and certainly back then when we, we interviewed about a hundred investors in particularly North America and and Europe in 2001, and we said, yeah, we think climate change presents risks and opportunities to your portfolio. What are you going to do about it? Uh, Many of them said, you know, climate change, is it real? I remember a pension fund said, um, well, before we start the meeting, we need to say we're amoral. We have fiduciary duty to invest in the best interests. So we're not here to talk about morals. We said we're not here to talk about morals. We're here to talk about risks and opportunities. Uh, you know, also risks and opportunities language that uh, investor relations professionals, you know, understand and are used to be being asked questions about. Every company needs to show that it does understand those risks and is seizing the opportunities. And the more they can do that and prove that, the more their investors tend to get excited about investing in
1: them. It seems to be the fiduciaries in a, in, in an era of passive investment that are, are kind of flying the flag for saving the planet a little bit. Who, who would have known that they would be the ones that would be paying attention to these kinds of long-term arguments?
2: I, I agree with you completely. I think um, the governor of the Bank of England, who happens to be a Canadian, Mark Carney, mm-hmm. uh, he... Um, You have a wonderful speech on the tragedy of horizons. You can find it on the Bank of England website. I think every investor relations professional, every business and finance professional should read that speech because he sets out that, you know, of course, short-term capital markets are often focused on financial performance, tend to be focused on financial performance. That's been the way it's been in the past. Um, But there is an unfolding tragedy, in his words, of climate change, which if we wait for the tragedy to fully unfold, it will be too late uh, to fully mitigate it so we, we must bridge that tragedy of horizons and the way we bridge the tragedy of horizons in, in his view is one is to have really solid robust disclosure on climate change from all the world's companies to their investors so that companies can show we understand this we're measuring it we're disclosing it we have a strategy we're, we're managing it and the investors can then evaluate that information and I think um, you know, we've seen an enormous rise particularly in the last it's yeah, so always it's hard to put a time on it. Three or four years mm-hmm. in the rise of ESG, environmental, social, and governance, um, interests from institutional investors all over the world. Very much in the United States, led perhaps by Europe, but now in Japan is really engaging very deeply with this. So, investors now say, you know, their job is to evaluate companies and where should they be putting their capital and what should the the um the cost of that capital be, and, and Now, almost all mainstream investors, very large investors, whether that's BlackRock in the US or the Japanese pension fund or the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund are all saying we want to use environmental and also some social and governance data in the evaluation of companies' performance and in the evaluation of how companies will perform in the future.
1: Uh, you know, IR people are being told they have to uh, uh, pull up their socks on ESG disclosure, um, but some 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 I speak to say they aren't even asked about these sorts of questions uh, at investor meetings. So there's that kind of dichotomy there.
2: We we, we we've we've heard that a lot over the last you know, eighteen nineteen years, and and there's no doubt there's some truth in that, that in the quarterly meetings where there's a very strong focus on financial performance, um, there's not enough questions about climate change, the, the water, forest, the, the environmental risks and opportunities. We do see that changing. If you take through CDP, our first information requests to companies in 2002 had 35 investors with $4.5 trillion of assets asking the 500 largest companies in the world to disclose. This year, 2019, we now have over 525 institutional investors with some $96 trillion of assets under management. So they definitely own a lot of shares and they definitely provide a lot of debt to many of the companies that the IR professionals you work with Mm -hmm. uh, work in uh, are asking questions on climate change, but not just climate change anymore, also issues on water Mm -hmm. and on on deforestation and, and, and a wider group of ESG factors beyond that. So we've seen... this this interest scale enormously. And I think that is now, what I'm told from some investors, beginning to feed much more into those quarterly meetings. But there's also been a lot of pushback. Some companies, uh, when Paul Polman was CEO of Unilever, he said, we're not doing quarterly reporting anymore because it creates this unhelpful, unnecessary short-term focus. And what some big companies and some investors are now much moving towards have a longer-term horizon. I remember meeting a board member of calpers from 15 years ago and we said calpers the, the california public employees retirement mm-hmm. system the big pension fund there so what is your investment horizon and he banged the table and said our investment horizon is in perpetuity the california the state of california has no plans to end the best answer i've ever heard to that question um so what i'm really getting at is that investors are seeking to be longer term and to be more more strategic in their investment of the future um I started my career as an investment analyst, uh, and yeah, you know, we used to say we basically we we only really looked at a few numbers. We were really looking at the metrics and the ratios of those numbers, and we made a lot of decisions on the back of that, or the people we advised did. Uh, but we always knew that the context of those numbers was as valuable, if not more valuable, than the number itself. And I, I think that really is 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 what this is is about. And we know, you know, for investor relations professionals and for investors that predicting the future, you can't only look in the rearview mirror. You know, a lot of uh, annual reports, financial reports are saying, this is how we did now, and this is how we did in the past. Uh, we know that the world is radically changing in, in many fronts, you know, on the environment, on technology, on population, on the balance of power from uh, you know, the, the US and Europe to Asia. All, all of these things we can we can see, and they're, they're very real, These these changes. Mm-hmm. So, Investors are crying out for information that can really inform them much better about the future, and it's very clear that the environment, climate change, is going to be one of those mega trends.
1: And another trend is passive investment. Um, uh, the actual investors have changed, and uh, that long her- long-term horizon seems to kind of have a natural link with you. Um, do you? I mean, do you sort of engage with passive investors now differently than you you did active in the past?
2: I, I think. I mean, certainly, uh, historically, I think it felt like the the active managers were were more engaged. But and someone said to me recently, much more experienced than me in the investment markets his whole whole career in it that more than half the world's money is run by computers Mm -hmm. passive investment Um, yeah and the computers are very clever they know when to buy and sell and they're they're following the algorithms and the programs that have been written by humans but yeah and of course that has risen dramatically because human computing power has increased uh, and it's a great way to lower margin lower fees right everyone's looking for how can you offer investment for for lower fees and keep the margin Uh, so there's no doubt that Um, passive investment has risen and I I don't know the exact number but more than half the world's money is run by computers in passive investment. However, uh, those people know that um, you you still need to kind of understand the company uh, and particularly you can program the algorithms but what about these changing factors like climate change in the environment? Uh, Have you written an algorithm for that? Or is there another way? And a lot of the investors we work with will say, look, yes, a lot of our investments are passive but because they're passive, that we do need to do some engagement. Um, so, you know, the 525 investors requesting disclosure through CDP is engagement. We tend to call it industrial-scale engagement because it's 525 investors engaging some uh, f- five to 10,000 companies.
1: Yeah, it's actually more companies. engagement along these factors that have been labeled as, as risk potentials, uh, environmental, social, and governance.
2: Exactly. And we've seen the investors really ramping this up. We, we run something called a non-disclosure campaign where some 90 investors actively engage some 700 companies who are not providing disclosures. Uh, Someone years ago from from Goldman Sachs said to me, uh, a company who's not disclosing is providing us with a lot of information. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, if they're not disclosing, they're telling us that they probably don't understand this, they're probably not well prepared, and they may be more exposed to risk. So, you know, a company that isn't an investor relations professional that isn't able to eloquently talk about this to, to show measurement and disclosure and, and now a, a strategy with clear targets um, is, is exposing itself as potentially having a weakness and potentially being more risky. We've seen a, another initiative called the Carbon Action 100 Plus, which is very much led by CalPERS, the big California pension fund. Um, now, I forget the exact numbers, but it's, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of investors with some $30 trillion of assets are engaging the 150 largest uh, companies in the world in terms of greenhouse gas emissions or systemic climate change impact. They're asking those companies to to measure and disclose and to set targets in line with the Paris Agreement in often now called science-based targets. So Mm -hmm. some 620 companies have a science-based target on climate change where they're committed to reduce their emissions in line with what the science and the Paris Agreement requires. And, And what we see is shifting norms and shifting expectations from investors about what, is, what, what behavior in a company, what actions in a company are sufficient. You know, everyone talks about best practice, but I'm a great believer that um, leading pra- what is leading practice today, i.e. just as you doing it seems a bit you know, progressive, uh, very quickly in the changing market can become the norm. You know, we know that norms are shifting in society and with technology and data, I think they're shifting faster. Um, yeah, so any company that's not keeping up with the norms shows itself as potentially exposing itself to risk, and that's certainly the way many of the investors, but you know, passive and active, uh, are looking at this.
1: Let's let, well, that kind of segues to the question: IR people and companies may be asking themselves, who are not already doing so, is why should they disclose, and and why should they do it through CDP? I mean, on the face of it, it seems like. Uh, Hey, I, I don't want to tell people this. And secondly, it's kind of a competitive secret anyway. So, like, I'm surprised that people do do that. And sometimes they do it with great, you know, zeal and gust. I'm wondering if, 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 if they actually, if there have been studies that show they get a return on their investment.
2: Uh, So there are some and I'll reference a couple. I mean, the first thing I think, when we started this in 2000, environmental disclosure was not the norm. I did some research, you could find less than 10 10 large companies, big listed Hmm. uh, large cap companies who were disclosing their emissions in the year 2000.
1: Can um, I ask? Can it, I can it, I just stop you there? Why would they do that in the year, in the year two thousand? Like, what was their advantage? They had just swell CEOs who had had woke wives and children, or or or, you know, what was the payback on that?
2: I, I mean, e- e- even then there were a few. So I know that the only company I remember of those, you know, round number ten. I can't remember that number. but You could count them on two hands was BP, then called British Petroleum. Mm. Uh, they knew that they were a big oil and gas company, very large emitter. And although it was the year 2000, you could, the Kyoto uh, Protocol was coming, there was the EU Emissions Trading Scheme, which was coming in the 2005, that became law. Um, so, you know, five years before. But they could see these things coming, and some companies wanted to be on the front foot. We know this is coming. Uh, we do believe it, uh, and we believe it's a, a risk and an opportunity for our company. We actually believe we can manage it, that so we want to be on the front foot, Communicate information and disclose it. So, so why, why disclose? I mean, um, first of all, investors are asking and now expect it. Now more do, than yeah. eight, mm. now today, uh, more than eight thousand companies uh, have disclosed through CDP this year um, globally from around the world. That's more than they represent more than half the world's market capitalization, uh, more than seventy percent of the S and P hundred, uh, more than ninety percent of the the Euro the stocks Euro three hundred. So this is. But this has become a norm. and So that's it, large. Paul. That
1: is the tipping point. Uh, did we just witness it? <laughs> uh, I
2: think on environmental awareness and environmental disclosure from companies, we have we, are, we, we have passed the tipping point. Uh, and and the, those who are not measuring disclosing are, are scrabbling and need to scrabble to catch up.
0: Uh, so, and, of
2: course, it, there's a few that will always be resistant. You know, there's, there's a... Uh, you talk about woke CEOs and, and chairpeople. There's, there's still a few that are in denial. You know, there's a few coal companies that say, "Ah, oh, you know, this is." Uh, we don't agree with this. There's a few oil and gas companies that say, "Oh, the world needs energy. The world's going to need much more energy. This is, you know, we, we don't need to change." But I mean, you know, most of us don't don't believe that anymore. Uh, and, and it's not about whether I believe it or not. It's what the investors believe, and I think most of the investors don't believe it. The, the other thing I think there are real benefits to companies. Of disclosing, if you, if you measure, you have the information for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's good management information. And, and you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions are very much often related to energy use, not uh, not solely many other activities, including deforestation. But uh, and but energy has an enormous cost. Yeah, we have uh, worked with Walmart for many years, and they're one of the world's largest retailers. And they would say, look, you know, we're a kind of bunch of economists doing logistics. Uh, what we know is we consume a lot of energy in our own business, but in our supply chain. If we can reduce the emissions and the energy used by 10% in our supply chain, we can save $2 billion. Who, who wouldn't want to do that? Everybody would want to do that. We also see that, um, that investors now are, are using the data from the disclosures more and more in investment products so the new york state common retirement fund has a low carbon index built by goldman sachs based on cdp data that only includes companies that meet certain criteria so if you want to be in that fund you've got to disclose and you've got to be doing well Uh, we have many other funds but there's a fund in europe stock has a low carbon group of indices again if you want to be included in the fund you, you need to do uh, certain uh, way to uh, do, do well in in the CDP scoring, as well as collecting disclosures, we we rank those disclosures. Everyone's used to credit rating agencies, and I guess every IR professional would be well attuned to has their credit rating changed. Well, I think we're moving into a world where you know what is their environmental rating, good, bad, or ugly, and no one wants to be ugly.
1: There's still time to book your place at IR Magazine's ESG Integration Forum Europe. That's Thursday, November
2: 7th at the Crown Plaza in London. Visit irmagazine.com to find
0: out more.
1: Like I mentioned at the top, it's easy to talk to Paul Simpson. Our conversation ranged from regulation. He's for it.
2: Yeah, we we absolutely need regulation. We need regulation on just environmental disclosure, and we're, we're seeing that grow, and uh, and helping a number of governments think through that. Uh, and we need regulation on on setting the course of where emissions and environmental um, performance needs to go. Yeah, once that's done, it's up to companies to deliver within those boundaries.
1: The winners and losers in the great transition.
2: Fossil fuels are not the future of the world's energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a climate change perspective, they can't be. And from a technology curve, if you look at the cost curves of wind and solar, uh, and you know, electric vehicles, even hydrogen now, um, it, they're getting cheaper and the technology is getting better. So we, there's going to be a transition in energy... Uh, And whilst you might own a a fossil fuel company now that's still paying dividends off the utilities provided to the world, will that company still be providing such dividends in three years, in five years, in 10 years? And I I think the answer is, is clearly no. And many large industry investors have now become concerned about the risk of what they call stranded assets. So, does your company, is it investing in assets which may be making money today But whether it's through regulation, whether it's through changing consumer demand, whether it's through shifting technology, Uh will some of those assets in the future that are having great investments for expected 20, 30 year returns, if those returns aren't delivered, some of those assets will be stranded.
1: Is expansion of CDP from a climate specific focus into other environmental issues.
2: So we are seeing... Investors looking for disclosure from companies, not just on climate change, but also on the very interrelated issue of of water. And there are companies being good stewards of water.
1: And how is possible he hasn't seen Chinatown yet? It's Chinatown. But I wanted to get back to the issue of motivation. Why these norms change. I'm cynical. The climate science is there. I wonder if the science is there... To link ESG with, you know, making money yet, it's um, it's it. it, 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 it I, I look at this a little bit and and it's inconclusive. No,
2: I, I, you know, twenty years ago when I was twenty years ago when I was an analyst, you know, we always were like a little bit cautious about backcasting, right? If you show backcasting with the right assumptions and models, you can often tweak the outcome a bit. But there has been some really serious, really good research in recent years by large investors, universities and, and others, um, showing that companies who are performing well environmentally also outperform. So uh, Stocks, which is a, a, a European index company, um, looked at the CDP climate change A list, so the companies who get the A in our ranking mm-hmm. climate change performance, the best performance, and they showed that those companies outperform the market Um, by over 5% between 2011 and 2018. Now, somewhere there'll be a study that shows, you know, something different, right, of course. But uh, Morgan Stanley recently did some research looking at data from 11,000 mutual mutual funds and ETFs. And they found that since 2004, there's at least no financial trade-off from environmentally focused funds versus traditional funds. So I think it's pretty much becoming the norm that people think you can invest for returns and and not do more harm Uh, and then of course you know can you invest returns and, and do more good and and there's some good research showing that i think this new york state common retirement fund Low carbon index is very interesting. Built by Goldman Sachs, based on the, the data we collect from the disclosures, New York State put two billion investment into that originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the current U.S. administration, after the current U.S. administration, they doubled it to four billion, um, and they said, but there wasn't a political issue, uh, decision. It was that the two billion was doing very well, and they they could get very good returns from their low carbon index. <laughs> Uh, there's a Swedish pension fund, AP2. Uh, they uh, divested from quite a large number of the S&P 500 companies based on their carbon emissions. They didn't tell anyone about it. Uh, they didn't tell the company, I mean Obviously, the companies knew they'd been divested, but it wasn't. they didn't make a song and dance about it. Uh, then a couple of years later, they published the returns and said their returns were actually doing better because they divested from those very high-carbon companies. So I think you're, you're right that it's not that this, this argument, if we call it that, has been one, um, but there's so much evidence coming uh, to show that you, you can uh, invest and make good returns and invest more sustainably. Uh, and if you look at then the changing uh, elements in the world, the more macroeconomic, macro indicators, I think that's only going to be more the case.
1: Hmm. I do I do agree there there is a preponderance in evi- of evidence that way um but but it's not like it's not quite global warming uh, debate the, there is still a a substantial number of, of studies that come out that that you know throw caveats in on that and yet and yet it is a societal movement anyway um and and what's motivating that I think is I don't know just um Warm, cozy feelings. Um, you know, <laughs> what's the payoff? There, there, there must be an alternative payoff for it somewhere. Well, uh,
2: you know, and of course, everybody who invests wants, most people who invest want good returns, right? Some people are happy to have very moderate returns for, for great impact. There's a big word in impact investing, as, it, as it's called. Um, but, you know, in, investors are also humans. Uh, you talked about CEOs. You know, I, I mean, as well as wanting returns, we do care. Most of us care. Yeah, you know, we want to live in a, in a healthy, happy, safe, stable society uh, with a good environment. You know, we all know you go somewhere, mm-hmm. it's lovely, the city's well-designed, there's great trees, there's great parks, it feels nice, right? You go somewhere, it's polluted, there's rubbish everywhere, not very pleasant. So there, there is a, a psychological side to this, I think. Uh, you know, I like what you said at the start, you, you studied some of the psychology and how does awareness change, how do people become aware? Um you know, awareness is changing. Every, you know, most of the world has a computer in its pocket these days. Uh, you know, what kind of information we access to it's quite debatable, but um, there is more and more information about the climate and ecological emergency and crisis. It's on the front page of certainly here in the UK, and I I think pretty much globally Mm -hmm. uh, now. You know, most newspapers, we talked about the Economist magazine earlier that didn't used to cover these, now puts this kind of stuff on the front page. Um, So the awareness has risen massively, and that is changing desires. Uh, And as that changes desires, it changes desires for, you know, consumer sentiment, but for investor sentiment. And, you know, none of us exactly know what the future is going to be like, but we do have a sense of what we think it might be like based on the past and basically what we know now and what we know now has changed
1: can you give me just kind of to wrap up can you give me a um a sense of what your conversations were like 18 years ago and what phrases you're using today now that now that we've sort of moved into this Very much so
2: our, our, our first letter that went from 35 investors with four and a half trillion dollars of assets under management on the 31st of may 2002 said as investors, we wish to better understand the risks and opportunities uh, that, climate presents to your, that climate change presents to your company. But it actually had to say that the perception of climate change presents to your company. <laughs> Some U.S. investors would only sign that letter if it said the word perception of climate change because they didn't want to be on record saying they thought climate change was real. Right? That was 2002. Um, today, you know, all invest the 525 investors with 96 trillion dollars of assets that we work with are all very comfortable to say climate change is real. We think it poses real risks and real opportunities to companies. Uh, and we've seen very interestingly here in the in the UK, uh, and you know, I think in some parts around the world, there was big protest in April, March, April this year around Easter uh, from a group called Extinction Rebellion who used this kind of new terminology, the climate emergency and the climate crisis. Um, So the UK government, as I said, has approved as a climate emergency. We see a lot of uh, local councils here, including their pension fund. And this is not just the UK. Uh, I think uh, Sydney in Australia has declared a climate emergency. Um, So the the language is changing to climate emergency, climate crisis. Uh, The Guardian newspaper published it was changing in the nomenclature, nomenclature it would use from global warming to global heating. Yes, yeah, so our bit earlier <laughs> was a little bit of warming on a cold day. It sounds all right. But no, this is, you know, global heating. So the nomenclature is changing. I think also very much led by Mark Carney, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, climate change as a risk to financial stability. Everyone knows what happened in 2008 with the financial crisis. Yeah, and it's been well documented what happened. Um, the, the central banks that really five years ago were not engaged in climate change, um, are now talking about climate change is a risk to financial stability, the stress tests they require on the banks and insurers in any given country, and certainly the Bank of England, Bank of France, Bank of Netherlands, Bank, uh, People's Bank of China doing a lot of work on this. Um, so it's completely changed. And I, and I think, you know, climate change is a risk to financial stability. I, I'm not saying that. Uh, 36 central bankers are saying it. Uh, what do I know? But I certainly believe what they say. And um,
1: uh, uh, and this trajectory is only going to keep going. And that's your ticker podcast. My thanks to CDB's Paul Simpson, and thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard, tell your friends. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cosette.